Okay, we're on. So yesterday was daf number memches number forty-eight, and today is daf memtes number forty-nine, and we're going to do a review of yesterday's daf. We are learning Lili Nishmas from Abashmol Shimon, Mary Nisham Avin Aliyah, also Naftali Yosef Ben Chaim Nisan Alevi, is Nisham Avin Aliyah, and Daniel Bernet Baruch Ben Yehuda Leib Ve'emi. One, one more. This time we have a Yosef today from my grandfather. It's Pesach David Ben Osher Zelik. And also for Pesach David Ben Osher Zelik. Right, exactly. You know what I'm going to say. Okay. Okay. So with that, let's get started at the Mishnah at the, oh, the, Mishnah at the bottom of the page on Daf Mem Zion Amebez, which is where we started from yesterday. We are defining... An example of a Bukhar, firstborn, as far for both inheritance and for a Kohen, even though it's not really the first issuance of the womb completely, and that is if the miscarriage that was there before wasn't fully formed. So for instance, if it was filled with water, it was like a sack filled with water or blood or colorful material, liquid form, all that does not qualify. Or if it was in the shape of uh, fish, or grasshoppers, the various types of uh, um, small animals that, uh, that are shkotzim, etc. All those do not qualify as well. On day uh, uh, on the day fortieth from uh, conception, also is not fully formed into the shape of a human. Uh, therefore, it also doesn't qualify. Um, and therefore, the child that's born subsequently would be completely bechor, even for, for not only inheritance, but also for kohen, for pidyon abin. C-section, and the one after the C-section, according to the Tanakama, is not going to be, uh, neither of them will be, well, according to the Tanakama, neither are bechor, not the first one, not the second one. Okay? And... Uh, 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 basically, that is the Tanakam's opinion. Rabbi Shimon's opinion is is that the first one will be an, um, the one for inheritance, the Bechor, as far as inheritance goes. And the second one will be as far as the five Sulaim of the Kohen goes, would need to be redeemed and is a Bechor for Kohuna. Now, why is, what's the explanation of the Tanakam, of the first opinion? So, the reason why it's not a re, the first one is not the inheritor as far as inheritance based on the Pasuk, the Pasuk says, lo. so that requires uh, a leda in the normal sense of birthing, and therefore, since it's a C-section, he doesn't get a double portion of Nachla. According to um, the five slum, however, it's in the first one's not the Petarechem, so therefore, that not the first issuance of the womb, because what didn't come out in the regular manner uh, issuance of the womb. So that's why the baby, this, even, the first baby, is not the Petarechem. What about the second one? Well, you can't call him the first child as far as inheritance goes, even though he was a regular birth, because that, that second child is, after all, the second child. And he's not referred to as Rashius Ono, which is the first. <coughs> On the other hand, and what about the, why isn't he counting as the five slime? Because the Tan Kama holds that Bechor Ledover Echad is Lo Havit Bechor, it's not considered Bechor, and after all, since he's only a Bechor in one component, one aspect, in the sense that it's the first issuance of the womb, that's simply not good enough, and therefore he doesn't have 
any, neither of the two will have a status of either type of Bechor. That is, Tanakam's opinion, Rabbi Shimon says, that uh, the first one will be a Bechor for Nachla, and the second one will be a Bechor for the Kuhuna. Uh, what's the logic of Rabbi Shimon? First of all, Rabbi Shimon's opinion is, is that when the Pasuk says, Teilade, that's Marba, all forms of Leda, including a C-section. So therefore, the halacha of, uh, of Nachla, he does qualify as a firstborn for inheritance, and he gets the inheritance. As far as the second halacha, uh, the, second, the first child is not going to be a Petarechem, but the second one is the Petarechem, and therefore, even though it's a Bechor, according to Rib Shimon, that's considered a Bechor. Okay. Which brings us to the new Mishnah. The Mishnah on top of the page on Memches of Aleph. <coughs> a, man, a man's wife never uh, had before a child. And now there are two children. She gave birth to two. We don't know which one is the Bechor. That doesn't really matter. The father does have to redeem his son. And he pays five slum to the Kohen. If one of the sons died within 30 days, so then the father is free from having to pay because he, maybe it was the Bechor that died. What if the father dies and the children are alive? So Remeir says, if they gave it beforehand, before they actually divided the property, so then what's given is given. But if not, then they're free from having to give at this juncture. But that's the Remeir's opinion. But according to Rabbi Yehuda, the, the, there is already an obligation on the assets of the father, and therefore it will have to be given either way. What if it's a male and female, and we don't know which one was born first, so then the coin doesn't get anything. Ah. So the question is, in the case where we talked about the father uh, dying, when did the father die? Which should make a difference, because if the father died after the 30th day, so the obligation did kick into the father, so then why would Rameir say that if they divided the assets, then they're free from having to pay it? Shouldn't the assets itself be leaned to pay the debt? Because it was the father's assets that had the debt. So what are we saying? It must be that it, uh, the father died within the 30 days. Then why, if they divided it, um, uh, why would it make a difference if they divided it or not? If they divided it, you go to either side and they say, oh, why are you coming to me? I'm not the firstborn, my brother's the firstborn. And the other one will say, why you come to me? I'm not the firstborn, my brother's the firstborn. Bottom line is, the coin will not be able to get it from either side. So even without the dividing of the assets, it's the same thing. Why should I pay? Why should I pay? Regardless of nothing to do with the assets, why would it only be free from having to pay when there's a division of the assets? So that's the problem. If it, so either way, we're not really clear what the, what the story is. So comes along Rabbi Yermia and says a very interesting conclusion here. The reason why well, this is the halacha is because it's, it's telling us an interesting law regarding something else. Let's say there's two people with the same name that live in the town. The name is Yosef ben Shimon. And, uh, and they went and they bought a field partner, as partners. So now they own this field as partners. Now there's a creditor that happens to have a document that states the name Yosef and Shimon in this and this town owes him a certain amount of money. Now, that, that, that document he showed to one of the Yosef and Shimons and he says, I, you got it wrong, it's the other guy. And the other guy says, you got it wrong, it's that guy, it's not me. So they're each pointing in the opposite direction, saying it's not them who owes the money. 
Bottom line is, but if they own a field with partnership, so then they would be entitled to go ahead and uh, this guy, the creditor, will be able to come and get the money from the field. And he could say, look, this field is definitely Yosef Ben Shimon's that owes me money. Which is the Yosef Ben Shimon that owes me money? Is irrelevant. It's not my problem. But Yosef Ben Shimon that owes me money owns this field. And therefore, I'm going to collect that of this field. And then he can do so. And that's the same idea over here. That since both sons and only one of these two sons are Bechor, but they both own the field together because after all, they never divided out the assets. So the bottom line is the real Bechor is who I'm taking it from. <laughs> Which one's the real Bechor? Is that my problem? You guys figured out. I don't have to worry about it because I know that the real Bechor has a share in this property and that's, what, that's whose property I'm taking. That's the logic that Rabbi Yermia argues is that to explain what's going on over here. On that, Rava says that um, that's beautiful, except that it's not true, okay? Which is, um, he's saying that the way it works when a person is collecting from property is that you're not, a, the property is never the first line of collection. The way collections work is that you got to first go to the person who borrowed the money. He's the one who has to pay you. If he is, has no money to pay you, then you go to the land, to take the money out of the land because the land is like a guarantor of the note, the land that the person owns at the time of the of the of the loan when he borrowed the money, and they just get that land just guarantees the note. He do, doesn't owe the money; it's just a guarantor. Guarantors must be done afterwards, okay? And therefore, the how can it be? Says Rava, how can it be that we, that you can collect from the land, but you weren't able to collect from the person because when you went to the person to his face. He said, can you prove that I'm the Bukhar? No, you cannot. So you can't collect from me. And now that there's the land, I'm able to collect from the land. It can't be better. The land can be better than the person directly who owes the money. And it's because it only stands behind the person. And therefore, if you can't collect from the person, you don't collect from the land either. And therefore, he disagrees with this conclusion. He says, therefore, says Rava, that what's talking about over here is a different scenario altogether. The case is, is that where the case of the father dying is not, he did not die within the 30 days like we thought. He died after the 30 days is over already. Meaning, there was already an obligation to pay. And if there was enough assets to go around, there would certainly be, um, that would certainly be obliged to pay and they would have to pay it. What we're talking about over here is, is that all the money that's available is only five slum period. And everybody, um, um, and everybody, um, okay, everybody, okay, and everybody agrees with Rav Asi, who holds that when brothers divide an, uh, the estate, we are wondering, what, we are not sure whether we look at the, the share that they got as the one that was their true Yerusha, or is it like a barter they got? What they really they got what their brother's portion should have been, and they sort of made a trade. So, and because of that, we look at all the every inheritance as half of that inheritance is actually looked at as inheritance, and half of it is looked at as a purchase from their brother. Okay, I sold you what's mine, and you sold me what's yours, and then we traded. Okay, and because we look at it half and half, um, so. What where everybody agrees also, you gotta add all the pieces in, 
everybody agrees also that when a debt is written in the Torah, that's not the same thing as having a document that says that you owe me the money. In other words, a Kohen can't come up and say and, and go to the person who has a firstborn and says, I have proof that you owe me the money, because he pulls out a Sefer Torah and says, it says here that firstborns owe me money. So I have a document, there's a contract. No, it's not the same thing as a written contract. It's, the Torah writes it, but it's not considered as a document that he's going to be able to take from leaned property. And therefore, you're all, since you, also everybody holds like Rav Papa, who says that therefore this falls into the category of a milval pair, basically a, a verbal loan, basically a guy borrows money without any documentation, and that is limited where it can be collected from, which means that you can only collect it from uh, inheritors and not from what a purchase, meaning, and therefore, since only half the assets is inheritance, so therefore you'll only be able to collect half. So what's the machlokas between Romeo and Yehuda? Whether we collect um, five slime, when in the end I'm not going to be able to collect the full five slime, I'm only going to be able to collect half of that. According to Rameyer, he says, chamesh velo chatsi chamesh. You only can collect five full slime and not half of five slime. And therefore, since in this case you'll be collecting half, if it's all or nothing, that's Rab Meir Shita. And, the, and Rabbi Yudha says, no, five means five. And if you can't do five, you do half of five. That's also whatever. It's better than nothing. Better than nothing. And that's the Shita of Rabbi Yudha, And that's the dispute according to Rava. Comes along the Gemara and says, that's very nice, except it doesn't really fit into the Mishnah. Because the Mishnah says that Rabbi Yudha argued that they should have to pay. Why? Because Nishayvu Nechasim. Because the assets have been obligated to pay. That's not the logic. The logic is because the person, father, has been obligated to pay because it was after 30 days. That's what he should have said. So why does he use the terminology of That's number one problem. Number two problem is, Rabbi Yudha actually clearly holds that when brothers divide um, property, he, said, he clearly said that the only time that there's going to be an obligation to pay is when there is at least 10 zuz to each brother. Not less than 10 zuz to each brother. Which, the question is, why would there be, a, what kind of 10 zuz are we talking about? Do we mean 10 zuz, meaning, and that's the grand total that he has, which is, and it's split between Yerusha and Lekuchen, meaning, and then for each brother really only has five zuz that's available. Now, by the way, the debt to, the, to pay for the uh, Bechor is, is 20, is 20 zuz, okay? Um, so, uh, because that, it, it's four zuz equals one sela, and it's five slime. So that's the, that's the math. Anyway, so that's the story. And um, then he's saying five is even half of five. But then, if that's the case, why would he specify that they have to have at least ten on each? It shouldn't be at least ten on each. They're getting anyway half. So whatever amount that they have, you divide that in half. And that's the half that he'll be entitled to get. How much is that up to? It doesn't really matter. So why would it? It doesn't really fit in. Unless you want to say that when they each have 10, that means they each have 10 in their Yerusha half. Meaning they really have a, a, a Yerusha of 20 each. Half of that is considered actual inheritance. And then he'll be collecting the full five between the two brothers. The question is, uh, that's, um, and, and therefore... Uh, basically, we see that even Rabbi Yehuda holds chamesh velochati chamesh, and if that's the case, what indeed is the dispute between the two sides? 
the dispute between the two sides is um, uh, basically whether we hold like Rav Asi from before or we hold like Rav Papa from before. Meaning, do we accept the opinion of Rav Asi that um, when brothers divide, it's half Yerusha and half a purchase? That's one dispute, maybe. Or the other component of the dispute is, do we agree with Rav Papa, who says that a, a loan that is, that is verbal can only be collected from inheritors and cannot be collected at all from purchases. And that's the other thing that could be a matter of dispute, and that's how we explain that. Now, there is another version of the discussion, and it is slightly different, and that's going on the latter quote. When going in Rabbi Yehuda's version, meaning Rabbi Yehuda said that you're going to have to pay because Nishayvu Nechasim. Now, when did the dad die that we're saying Nishayvu Nechasim? If he died after 30 days, so that means Romero would say that even after 30 days, if they divided up the property, they're not going to have to pay. Why would that be true? Isn't the property leaned to that debt? So it must be that it was within 30 days. So then why if they divided it, so would Remeir say that it's um, would Remeir say that it's that that it is chayiv? Okay. Um, uh, I mean, why would Rabbi Yehuda say that it's chayiv if they divided it? They should be able to push them each each side should be able to push away the money. So why did Rabbi Yehuda hold? If you're talking before 30 days, why does Rabbi Yehuda hold that the brothers have to pay this debt? Okay. So the Gemara answers that Rabbi Yirmiyah says. This comes to air to a very interesting conclusion, which is that when you have two people with the same name in one city, and one of them bought a field off the other one, so then the creditor can come collect from that field, knowing that in this case, either the one that bought the field is the, is the, is the debtor and owes him the money, and he, therefore I have a right to take it, and if not... So then the other one is the, is the one, and, I, and he owed me the money before you bought it, and therefore I have a lien on this property either way. Even if it's the other one, I can collect from here, and even if it's you, I can collect from here. And that's the same principle, that I want to be able to collect from this property, because bottom line is, it could go to either one. So that is the explanation in Rebuta. The problem with that is, is exactly the discussion that we had before, Rava's question, which is that since property is only a guarantor of a debt, and not the actual primary source of debt repayment. So therefore, that would not be acceptable, and therefore the whole repetition of the the previous Gemara uh, happens again, and that was the conclusion. I believe... What's the conclusion? What? That's all we we got up to. What's the bottom line on that? What's the bottom line? That they're arguing that the machlokas between Ramey and Rebuda is either in the position of uh, Ravasi, or of Papa, that uh, they're, discuss- they're talking about where there's a limited amount of money that's actually there, only five salaam, and the question is, do you pay, um, do, you know, uh, and, and the question is, how do we look at that five salaam? Do you look at it as all Yerusha, or is it half? Because everybody agrees that you can only pay the full five salaam, not less than five salaam, and that was the discussion. Anyway, like with the same conclusion that we had in the first part. Okay, and that is where we got up to. I'm just going to stop the...